Good morning, church. It's great to be with you and have a uh, almost full house in here, and we expect to have a full house again this afternoon as we come together. Today's a historical day in the life of Mount Horeb, and I'm sitting down because I'm battling a little bit of a bug, but I know that God is faithful. Uh, I know most of you probably know the origin of Mount Horeb's name, where Mount Horeb comes from. It is the place in the Bible of the burning bush. It's where God called Moses to lead his people out of bondage and captivity into the promised land. You probably know the story of the 10 plagues, how God brought those against Pharaoh because Pharaoh refused to let his people go. If you follow the story of the Exodus, these Israelites were released from captivity under Moses' leadership, God's guidance. And there was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then they arrive at the Red Sea, right? This impossible obstacle. How do we get across? The Egyptian army had had a change of heart. Pharaoh had had a change of heart and they're, they're crashing in on the uh, Israelites. And then God provides a miracle and parts the Red Sea and Israel walks across on dry, gland, dry ground. And then following the Red Sea, they continue their journey and, and, and God provides food, God provides water. And yet in the midst of all that, there's grumbling and complaining by God's people, longing for the old days, good old days of slavery. And about you know, a few months into this journey, they arrive at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, they renew the covenant agreement that God made with Abraham. That it was through these people that God would bless all the people of the earth and share his blessing. At Mount Sinai, the people of God received the Ten Commandments. And then after receiving the Ten Commandments, even while receiving the Ten Commandments, they rebel against God. He shows them grace. All this goes on for a little more than a year. And then they arrive at the desert of Paran. And Moses sends out 12 spies into the promised land. They're at the edge of the promised land where God has been leading them, the path that God has established for them. And they send out these 12 spies, one scout from each of the 12 tribes. And if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as I read from God's word in Numbers 13. Now, again, God has uh, led Moses to send out these spies. These spies go out through the promised land. And then we pick it up in verse 26. They returned from looking over the land after 40 days. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the people of Israel in the desert of Paran at Kadesh. They brought news to them to all the people and showed them the fruit of the land. They told Moses, we went to the land where you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. This is its fruit, but the people who live in the land are very are strong. The cities have walls and are very large. And we saw the children of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of Nebga. The Hittites, the Jezebites, the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of Jordan. And then Caleb told the people in front of Moses to be quiet. He said, let us go up at once and take the land, for we are well able to take it in battle. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able. We are not able 
to take it in battle. Excuse me, we are able to take it, but the men who had gone up with them said, we're not able to go against the people. They are too strong for us. So they brought the people of Israel bad news about the land they had spied out, saying, the land we have gone to spy out is a land that destroys those who go there to live. All the people we saw in it are very large. The word of God for the people of God may be seated. Father God, I pray that as we talk about your path and your plan and your promises, that we won't allow the giants to get in the way. And may you give us the courage and the strength and the faith to believe today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So these 10 spies return with what I call the miserable report. And they were the miserable majority. You ever known the miserable majority? They gave a bad report. They had fear over their faith. Their fear was greater than their faith. They didn't see opportunities. They only saw obstacles. The giants were too big and their view of God too small. Now, maybe you're here today and you've got some giants in your life and you're convinced that these giants are just too big and your God, the God of the creation, the God who gave us the gift of his son in Jesus Christ is just too small. And I believe what these 10 spies did is they slander God. They accuse God of not being able to make a way into the promised land. They were moved by their feelings instead of the facts, the facts of God's power, provision, and promise. And I'm here to tell you today, if you are believing that your giants are too big, you're trusting in your feelings more than you're trusting in your facts, the facts that are declared in God's word that he is able, he is able. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis in the, in the classic Mere Christianity. Faith is the art of holding on to things, your reason once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Anybody in the room, moods change from time to time? Don't let your moods changing affect your faith. If you study the Old Testament and the Israelites, their moods changed all the time. And it drove Moses crazy because they kept going with their feelings rather than their faith. But then you have the mighty minority, I want to call them, Joshua and Caleb. Ten gave the miserable majority report, and then Joshua and Caleb give the mighty minority report. And, and, and their basis of the report is faith over fear. Faith over fear. Now, Whenever the people rally with the 10 in the miserable report saying, we can't do this, God becomes angry. And God is going to pretty much say, okay, enough is enough. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring great wrath and judgment down on these people. But Moses, being the great leader he was, interceded, prayed for grace. And I love what Numbers 14 says, the next chapter over, beginning with verse 20, reading from the paraphrase message version. God said, I forgive them. Somebody say amen to that. 
I forgive them honoring your words. But as I live and as the glory of God fills the whole earth, not a single person of those who saw my glory, saw the miracle signs I did in Egypt and the wilderness, and who have tested me over and over and over again, turning a deaf ear to me, not one of them will set eyes on the land I so solemnly promised to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with such repeated contempt will see it. But my servant, Caleb, this is a different story. He has a different spirit. He follows me passionately, and I'll bring him into the land that he scouted, and his children will inherit it. You know, I was blessed this morning to have our son Aaron here with uh, three of our grandchildren. And every decision I make by the grace of God is wanting to leave a faithful legacy to my grandkids. Caleb was not concerned about himself. He was concerned about his children and his children's children and down the line. And, And so should we. Caleb had a different spirit. I want to have a different spirit. A spirit that trusts in the power and the presence and the promise of Almighty God. You know, Caleb didn't see himself as a victim. He saw himself as a victor. Caleb and Joshua Joshua trusted in God's power, God's promise, God's path, and God's purpose. You know, almost a year ago, the administrative council of this church appointed 14 people to go out and scout on the United Methodist Church, all lay people within our church, to study the division, the schism, the open disobedience to the authority of Scripture, questioning the divinity of Christ and the disobedience of our United Methodist Book of Discipline. And they came back with a majority report. Unlike the miserable majority report that wasn't unanimous in our story today, they came back with a unanimous report. And, and, and I want to invite out Keith Hudson, who is our lay leader in the church and also the co-chair of the Way Forward team, to give you a, a word from the Way Forward team. Welcome, Keith. Give him a hand this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. It's an honor and a privilege to be here with you. Um, as Jeff mentioned, I serve as uh, co-chair of the Way Forward committee, who has been this a group of 14 of us who got together uh, along with my other co-chair, Martha Thompson, uh, to look, to study, to try to see everything that is out there as we know that the United Methodist Church, there's some division there. So we've been meeting for about a year. Uh, We've been faithfully meeting, praying, seeking to try to see what is the best path out there for us as we go forward. Uh, A lot of you have been with us as we've been having uh, three sessions where we've met. We had an open dialogue in here. Today we have a vote, but I can tell you when we did our research and we did our study, we had the opportunity to meet with our bishop, Bishop Holston, um, and he told us, he said, look, I'm gonna have a plan for you. I don't have it right now, but you do need to, you need to have faith. You need to trust in me uh, because I'm gonna provide a path and a plan for Mount Horb. And we met with the bishop and he said, through this process, he knows that in the greater United Methodist Church, there's division. Um, There are those bishops in the United Methodist Church that have strayed from the Bible. They've strayed from the Book of Discipline, which is what we as United Methodists believe in. The Book of Discipline mirrors the Bible and everything that the Bible says. We believe it's God-breathed, God-inspired, it's God's spoken word. 
The book of discipline is the rules that we follow that mirror the Bible. Um, we don't have a problem at Mount Horb with the Bible, its teaching, its understanding, or the book of discipline. However, there are others in the United Methodist Church that feel like parts of the Bible need to be changed, parts of the discipline need to be changed, um, and we feel like that, that is not the correct path for us. So our bishop said that uh, continue to pray, be faithful. Uh, so this team with the Way Forward Committee, we continue to meet and discuss. Uh, and then on December 19th, he said, I have a path for you, and I have a plan, and this is the way that you can seek to, if you choose to separate from the United Methodist Church, you can. So we started that process. We had the 40 days of discernment. We've been praying. Again, we had the listening session. So again, thank you for all those that came. We've had resources available. We have stuff online, even still today, if you still have questions. Uh, but today is a historic day in the life of Mount Horb. Uh, you know, Mount Horb, for those who are maybe visitors or who haven't been here, we're a 130-year-old church that is rich in our history and our teaching that's orthodox Wesleyan traditions that we, that we preach on. We are Methodist. Uh, we were Methodist in the beginning. United Methodist only started in 1968. So we have a rich history of Methodism. Um, so we've been looking, seeking. We want to continue that in our church. We want to continue the history of the generations of those that have been here, uh, that we've been able to build these spaces and all the things that we've had because of God's favor and his blessings on Mount Horeb. So our committee met, um, again, after we came with this path, we met unanimously and voted to seek to leave the United Methodist Church. We took that to our uh, administrative council who supported that decision. Uh, and today I come before you uh, with my report um, that it is the recommendation of the Way Forward Committee that we do seek to separate from the United Methodist Church. So today at two o'clock, we're gonna be having people come in to Hopefully all of you will come and uh, register. We will have childcare available. It's two-thirds majority of those that are present in this room. We will vote at three o'clock. You don't have to stay for the vote, but you need to be here to vote. So our recommendation uh, is a vote yes to separate. Um, and then from that path, we will look and continue to seek and go forward. Part of this path and part of the plan we have, this building that we're in, there's a lot of things people may or may not know. The United Methodist Church owns it all. Behind us is over 100 acres of property that we have bought, that we have paid for, uh, that we have intentionally not been building on, continuing the mission of Mount Horb because of what's been going on in the division with the United Methodist Church. So we, pray for, we, we prayerfully ask that you come today because we know that God has anointed this place. Uh, just like Moses was leading the Israelites out, I feel like it's not luck that we were able to acquire 100 acres behind us. I don't think it's luck that we were able to build this space, this facility that we're in right now that's paid for. I don't think it's luck that last year we were able to purchase another 56 acres going down Fox Glen in the most prestigious area in Lexington where developers want to build homes. I think God has appointed this place when he did it 130 years ago with a small country church on the corner and made it what it is today. So we have a lot to be thankful for. I know a lot of you in this room have served this church faithfully and you've seen the goodness of God here. Uh, so we are, we're excited. It's a historic moment today. It really is a historic moment in the life of this church that we can continue forward, again, with our rich history, not being united, but we are Methodist, and we will continue to be Methodist. We will continue to teach, preach, and live into the Word of God and the Book of Discipline, and we will not deviate or change from that. So that is the report 
that the Way Forward Committee uh, has for you today. Now, Keith, you mentioned about the property uh, that is under a trust clause or the denomination owns. If the church votes to separate, uh, what happens with the property then? Yes, yeah, so right now there is this trust clause that the United Methodist Church owns everything that we have. So a vote yes to separate means that we will own all of our property. Everything that we have, all our property, all our assets, all our real estate, everything will be ours. So we can continue to use your tithes and, and your resources that you've given, that we can continue the ministry of this church. And, and what we've been saying is, if you like Mount Horb for who we are today, a vote yes to separate is a vote for Mount Horb to stay the same. A vote no means that we are at risk of the future bishops and others that are gonna be leading this denomination. We know that there's division. We know that there are violations to the Book of Discipline right now. It's out there. And we don't wanna fall under that authority. We wanna be under God's authority and under God's word. So a vote yes is a vote to keep Mount Horb the way we are today. Okay, all right. Thank you, Keith. Anybody? Thank you all. Thank you, Keith. The Israelites uh, listened to the report of the miserable majority instead of the mighty minority, and they ended up being stuck for 40 years in the wilderness. It is my prayer that the people of Mount Horb will listen to the majority report of our Way Forward team, our administrative council. Keith mentioned we've been through 40 days of prayer and fasting, a total of 50 days of preparation since the bishop announced his path and plan. And as Keith said, today at two o'clock to register, three o'clock to vote, it's gonna require a supermajority of two thirds of the membership present in the room voting. You know, I want you to know that if we vote as a church to separate and the annual conference approves all the churches that are voting to separate, we'll do so because of a supermajority. But also know that we will be a minority of churches in Methodist churches in South Carolina. There are over 800 Methodist churches in South Carolina, and right now there are about 140 churches that are pursuing the path that we're pursuing. And by the end of the year, um, um, there's an opportunity in 2024, there's an opportunity for churches to again pursue that next year. Uh, that's a little bit risky if that path will still be available, but I believe if it is, there'll be a larger number of churches in South Carolina that will, that will separate. We will be a part of the first wave if you vote to separate, joining over 2,000 churches in the U.S. that have already voted to separate. You know, God works through a small group of people. And there'll be a small group of churches initially here in South Carolina. But God has always worked through a small group of people. In the Old Testament, he worked through the little nation of Israel. And when Jesus then began to work following his teaching and, and, and eventual crucifixion and resurrection, he worked through the church, established the church, a small group of believers. Now, how was the church, this small group of believers, able to impact the world, able to impact the culture around them, a pre-Christian culture? Well, I would say that they were affected because they were in one accord. They were in agreement with each other. They were in one accord with scripture in the teachings of Jesus. But also they maintained their distinctive identity as a set apart people of God. People that were grounded 
in the authority of God's word. And it made them distinctive in their identity. But they also maintained a meaningful mission. You know, the, the, the church has advanced not by might, not by power, but through the work of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of God's word. The church has faced persecution and hostility, but they continued to preach with boldness. They, they continued to invite the Holy Spirit to give them signs and wonders of miracles. You know, maintaining our unique identity as God set apart people give integrity to the message. I want you to hear that. Maintaining our unique identity as God set apart people give integrity to the message. The early church had high moral ethics because of the teachings of Jesus, the writings of Scripture. They valued life from tomb, from womb to tomb. They had a high view of marriage and sexuality, a high value of serving others, of being generous, and this strengthened their message, not weakened it. Now, church, we need to have a strong message that's not weakened by caving in to the culture. When we assimilate to the culture, it makes the message weaker because we're not inviting anyone to a higher calling. It's also important that we don't isolate as the church because when we isolate from the culture, our message is not in the trenches. The, the, the early Christians were known for their love for the orphans, the widows, the sick, their concern for non-Christians. We talked about this during the COVID pandemic, that when many in Rome, the Roman citizens ran away from the plagues, fled the cities, the Christians went in to help. And their love and service won many to the faith. I've modified this quote. I love this quote. Uh, we help people not because they are Christian. We help people because we are Christian. Our, our, our message of Christ extends into a world. You know, the early church was marked by their conviction, by their compassion, by their courage, and by their confidence. I shared those words on January the 8th when we kicked off this season of discernment. I, I want Mount Horb to follow the example of the early church with our convictions and our compassion for all people, our courage and our confidence. Peter, one of those disciples who, who helped change the world, wrote these words in 1 Peter 2. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then if they accuse you of doing wrong, and they will, they will see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. You know, this afternoon, if Mount Horeb joins many other Methodist churches across the U.S. and separating from the denomination because of our belief in the authority of Scripture, because of our belief in the orthodox definition of marriage, our belief in the divinity of Jesus Christ, we will be in a minority. But may the world see our honorable behavior. May the world see our convictions and our compassion our courage, and our confidence. In our story today of the miserable majority and the mighty minority is that the miserable majority chose to repress rather than remember the goodness of God. 
They chose to forget that God had fulfilled every promise. They chose to forget that God had the power to deliver his people, that God provided a path and a purpose. While the mighty minority said, how can you forget? Church, let's not forget all that God has done through his church all over the globe. Let's not forget what God has done in this church. It's incredible when I think about all that God has done in this church. Let's not forget. And whenever it was all said and done after the report was received and Israel chose to, uh, to reject God's plan, I know for 40 years there was a lot of regret instead of a lot of rejoicing. Today, I want us, our church not to have regret, but to have rejoicing. God clearly led the people of Israel to the edge of the promised land, but they questioned the authority of God. Now, some people have asked this question. Is Pastor Jeff for this separation or is Pastor Jeff against it? Is, has Pastor Jeff only given one side of the story? I believe that our Way Forward team has given you all the information in a very transparent way. And again, as Keith said, if you're still uncertain, go to our website and check it, check it out. But you know, it really wasn't what Caleb said or Joshua said that mattered the most. It was what God said. And, and I want you to, as a church, not to make a decision based on what I'm saying. Make a decision based on what God says and what God has declared in his word. I will stand on that to my last day. That God's word is a solid foundation. The question is, will we have the courage to stand for God's word as our authority? The question is, will we move forward with a purpose, a plan, and a path? Or we shrink back from the fear of the giants in the culture, in the world. There's an old parable, a fable, that's not biblical, but it's, a, it's an interesting little parable of when Jesus returned to heaven after his time on earth. The angels gathered around him to learn what had happened. Jesus told them about his miracles, his teaching, then his death and his resurrection. And when he finished, Michael the archangel asked, but Lord, what happens now? And Jesus answered in this fable, this parable. He said, I have left behind 11 faithful disciples, a small band of believers who will declare my message, my mission, and express my love for the world. These faithful disciples will establish and build my church to reach the world. But Michael, the archangel said, what if they fail? What then? And Jesus answered, I have no other plan. That's all I got. This plan. These people, I'm going to use these people to change the world. I want to be a part of a church that's changing the world. With the compassion of Jesus, the conviction to stand on the word of God, the courage to move forward. Church, let's not lose heart when the world opposes the kingdom of heaven. Let's stand on the convictions of God's word. And I just want to say in closing today, if you're listening online or here in the room, if you give a giant an inch, 
he'll take a mile. You may be facing a giant problem, a giant challenge, a giant addiction. As days go by, these giants seem to get bigger and bigger in your life. You know, what is a giant? A giant is anything that seeks to control you, that tries to prevent you from entering into God's promise, entering into God's provision. And I want you to know that I believe, and the scripture declares that God is bigger than any giant you're facing. God is more powerful than any giant you're wrestling with. Jesus said, or, or Paul said these words, of, I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. Face any giant. So I want to pray for the church. I want to pray for you right now. Father God, I thank you that you are in our midst through the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father God, that you have called your people to be your representatives in this world, to be people of compassion, to be people with conviction, to be people with courage, to be people with confidence. And Lord, I thank you for giving us Jesus as our Savior and as our example. I pray for our church as we gather back today, this afternoon, uh, for a historical vote. Lord, I pray your will be done. I pray for your kingdom to come. And I pray you would guide Mount Horeb as we look into the future. Lord, I pray for that person right now who is being defeated by a giant. And Lord, they are worn out. They're defeated and they're tired. I pray that right now through the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, that giant will fall. And those chains will be broken. And they can leave here through the power of Jesus Christ in their life. They would pray a simple prayer, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus and help me, Jesus, to fight this battle. Forgive me for my sins and cleanse me on the inside and come into my life and give me victory. I ask all this in Jesus' name, the Savior of the world, amen and amen.